0: thanks, Ross, and nice to be with you. I keep thinking one of these Sunday nights I'll come, I'll, I'll, have, the, I'll have the cold shook off me, and uh, I'm still still talking through a croaky voice uh, three weeks later. Um, these Sunday nights we've been kind of looking at the subject of discipleship and Christian growth, and uh, three key texts, or two so far, looking at Mark's gospel, Jesus called to discipleship, that disciples might be with him, and then that he might send them out. Last week we looked at just that um, picture that Paul paints for us in 2 Corinthians 3.18 of, of looking at Christ and then we become what we're beholding. Christ is formed within us, as, as um, Ross mentioned earlier on in his prayer. And tonight we'll look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. That song that we've been singing really leads us into it. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment that I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. It's easy song, but there's a lot of moments, there's a lot of breaths, there's a lot of ourselves and our time that we have to offer, and so it's a beautiful song and, and uh, a much greater reality if we, can, if we can live it. I'm sure you're familiar with Romans and the structure of Romans, the book of Romans. You know how Paul builds up his argument, first of all, the first... Uh, chunk of the book, he, he uh, leads us into a low point and in, in Romans chapter 3 where he concludes that there's none righteous, not even one, um, and, and uh, every mouth is, is silenced and, and, and all are sinners. He establishes that platform in Romans chapter 3. And then out of Romans chapter 3 or throughout the rest of Romans chapter 3, He explains the gospel and how sinners can be made righteous, leads us through to the experience of Abraham and um, Romans 5, peace with God, and into 6, 7, and 8 that try to uh, explain for us something of the Christian life and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Romans 9, 10, and 11 speak of the balance and the plan of God with regards to Jew and Gentile. And so he spent 11 chapters talking about God's great plan of salvation. And then Romans chapter 12, which is our reading tonight, or Romans 12, 1 and 2, um, he begins to introduce or gives a headline in Romans 12, 1 and 2, for the Christian life, um, in view of all that God has done, this is what I want you to do. And so, maybe we'll read in from, from Romans 11, verse 33 Um, Paul, having laid out the gospel, says this, O the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen." And then what we want to look at tonight, Romans 12, 1 and 2, "'Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of the gospel, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing.'" And perfect will. Maybe we should take time just to pray. Our Father, as we come to the Scriptures, and as we come to a challenging Scripture like this that um, just challenges us, reminds us of all that You've done for us, and calls us to give what we are and have back to You, we realize in ourselves that every fiber of our flesh would fight against it. And so we ask for Your help to preach tonight. We ask for Your help, Lord, to to push back on the darkness because we realize that the one that is against us would not want a message like this to to, uh, prevail and to succeed in our lives. And so we ask for your help to preach tonight. We ask for your help to listen tonight. We ask for your blessing as you have been with us, that you would continue to be with us and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I... I come from Northern Ireland, you'll, you'll have got that a long time ago, but I'm one of four children, and uh, we have a bit of banter. I'm, I'm the only one that's away from home, really. My sister's about half an hour's drive away, but they're, the, the other three are around home with their families, and we would have a bit of banter whenever we're all back around home. You know what it's like. And we were keeping my mum going, not, not, not that long ago, but a little while ago, um, just, just about her life. and um, Really, we were saying to her that her life didn't amount to much, and uh, it wasn't, of course, a very nice thing to be saying, but um, she said something in response to us that, 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 that I found challenging and that uh, just really showed me what, where the reality lay. But she says, I'm quite happy with my life. And the, I suppose the reason I found that strange was, for the best part of her life, she has been supporting others. She quit her job when I, the second child, was born to focus on us as a family. She must have been a full-time mum for 12 or 13 years. She, she took a job after having got us raised up a bit and out to school, not so much to, for herself, but to pay for us to uh, further our interest in, in various things. She supported my dad in business. My dad had his, had his own still has his own building business, and she supported him in that doing book work and all sorts of things. And my dad was a, as an elder in the church and Sunday school superintendent and stuff like that. And so my mom was never in the forefront, but always, all, always there supporting him and, and helping him. And so her life has been spent giving herself to my dad, giving herself to us as children, giving herself, I suppose, primarily to God, and then other people benefited from that. And Many in our culture would say that that isn't a life to be content with. You need to do something for yourself, and I suppose my surprise at her contentment sort of revealed that my thinking was more in line with the world's than it is with the Lord's. For my mum, it would seem that true life was found when she gave it away for the benefit of others, and that's exactly what Paul is encouraging us to do here in Romans twelve. It's a it's a big hinge point. In the book, as I said, he has explained the gospel for 11 chapters. He's, explained, he's brought everybody in to the, to the hopelessness of their sinful condition. He's explained the gospel for all. He has explained the balance, the plan of God for Jews and Gentiles. And then Romans 12 is his beginning to lay out what we should do in response. And uh, 12, 1 and 2 is a kind of headline statement for what we should do in response. And, 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 and in these two verses, the key concept is this simple little statement, present your bodies to God, or present your bodies a living sacrifice. Give yourselves to God. And so I just want to look at these, these two verses under three headings. What are we being asked to do? Why would we do it? and then how will we do it? What we've been asked to do, um, why would we do this reckless thing, and then how are we going to do this on a a daily basis? What are we being asked to do? We're being asked to present our bodies, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The logical response to God's mercy is gratitude, Um, and the reasonable nature of this gratitude is to give back to Him what He has secured for us. We would have no life if He had not given His life for us, and so the reasonable thing to do in response to what He has done for us is to give back to Him what He has given us in terms of our life. It says that we're to present our bodies as the literal body. It's the thing that we stand up and sit down in, Um, But by but but by logic, it will extend to the entire person. For for where the living body is, the person cannot be separated from it. It's a physical call. It's a physical call to give our eyes to him, to give our ears to him, to give our feet to him, to give our hands to him, to give our mouths to him. In view of what God has done, we would give our bodies to him. Christian obedience will always involve the body. It will always involve a concrete, lived reality. It's not possible to to um, give thanks to God just in our mind or in some sort of emotional response. It was it was part of the culture and in, in uh, the time that the book of, of that Paul would have been writing Romans, that there was a sort of understanding in the in the Roman period that you could. You could attend to religion by ritual actions and by offering sacrifices and attending altars and shrines, but it didn't really impact on, your, on the lived reality of your life. But Paul is encouraging his people at Rome, in view of what God has done, give your bodies, give yourselves to Him. Um, and it's all of the body. It doesn't work to Use your vocal cords to sing for Jesus. And then to use your less noble parts to sleep with someone else outside of your, of your spouse. It's to give our bodies. It's to give all of our bodies. It's to give ourselves to Him. It says that, that um, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What does that word living add to it? Well, it's an ongoing life of the person. It's a constant dedication. Yes, we uh, give our lives to God when we become a Christian. I was just reading a little bit before I came out of some of the tributes to Billy Graham, and it said of Billy Graham when he came to to uh, Glasgow that uh, his message was, "Give your life to Jesus." It would have been possible to to respond at uh, at, uh, at one of those big events and to walk forward and to and to give your life to Jesus in a sense, but in order to give your life to Jesus, it's a daily, constant following through on that decision. It's a, it's a living, constant dedication. Paul knew that himself, didn't he? Um, he had followed Jesus for the first time on the road to Damascus, but at the end of his life, he says, "'I am poured out like a drink, like a drink offering. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith.'" For Paul, he gave his life to Jesus on the Damascus Road right at the very beginning, but he gave his life day after day, and he's encouraging these people to continue to give themselves um, over to God. It says that we're to give our, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy. What, What does that add to it? Well, holiness always includes something negative, cut, cut yourself off from evil, cut yourself off from the chaos of the world around us to some degree, but also give yourselves over to God, separated from old pursuits, given onto God, onto the pursuit of God. It's got that um, connotation as well. I think if we put a W in front of the holy, we would get something that, that, that's included there as well. We, we, we're to give ourselves entirely over to Him. I was watching a wee bit of the rugby yesterday and celebrating with some of you guys, I'm sure, at the um, victory yesterday, but um, just as those guys gave themselves entirely for the cause out on the grass at Murrayfield yesterday, in our Christian response, we would give ourselves entirely over to Him. Holy. Um, Many many use their body to serve themselves. It's a big thing in our culture. Many have made the body in itself everything. We can spend hours honing our bodies into shape. We can spend time and money decorating our bodies with a tattoo or with makeup or all sorts of things. We can can invest what we have for our body. You can give your body and your money to a materialistic culture. You can work 70 or 80 hours a week to be able to buy the the accoutrements of this age. You can give your body to other people. You can give your body to the wrong people, and they'll abuse it and scramble it. But Paul says, in view of all that God has done for us, give your body, give yourself, give all of it back to Him. Why would we do that? Seems like a ridiculous thing to ask of us, that our body, our lives is all we have. Why would we give it all away? Well, because of God's mercy. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, because of all that He has done for us, Paul has spent these 11 chapters, as I've said, building up all that God has done for us. We were once subject to God's wrath. God in mercy has rescued the believer from the wrath of God. From the just consequence of our own sin, we were heading for hell. But because God has been kind to us as Christians, if you're a Christian tonight, chosen you by His grace. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. If you're a Christian tonight, God has, had, has, has reached you in mercy, been compassionate towards you, and so He calls you. In View of God's mercy, give your life back to Him. We were once not God's people. You think of, think of where we were, even as a nation, British people, or whatever we would have been way back, whenever God was was revealing Himself to the likes of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we were in total darkness. Paul's explaining now to these Gentiles, God has had or has in Romans nine, ten, eleven, God has had mercy on the Gentiles. We too enter into that with gratitude. God has had mercy on us. I sometimes get away, get away up to the highlands of Scotland to do a tent mission. And it's uh, so up there just uh, this past, well, it's getting on for a year ago now in June time, and met a friend up there who has a bit of money from uh, some business exploits in the past and uh, uses that to try and help other younger fellows get set up in business. And he was telling me a story from his own experience of um buy a chip van for a couple of young fellas. And they were seeking to, to sell uh, bacon butties of, outside an industrial estate, and they had no equipment to do it. And he says, I'll buy you the chip van, and, and uh, that'll set you up. And so he did. He bought the whole thing, set it up for them, and uh, handed it over to them, no strings attached, And they they set up at the beginning of the week and he turns up one of the first days that that they're open with this thing and he asks for a bacon body and a cup of tea. And they turn around and and, and, uh, charge him full price for it. And it's a wee bit like what we do sometimes with God. We would have no life if He had not procured life for us, given us life. And sometimes it's as if we kind of Walk off and say, thank you very much, but I'll do my own thing with my life. No, Paul says. In view of God's mercy, give yourselves, lock, stock, and barrel the whole thing back to Him. Mercy also includes enabling. What I mean by that? Well, in view of God's mercy, or it could be translated, by the mercy of God. Um, not only as gratitude, but there's a sense in which by the transformation of God's grace in our lives, we are enabled to give our lives back to Him, if that makes sense. We were once twigs. Take the picture that's that's presented in the preceding chapters. We were once twigs, separated from the life-giving root until God in mercy grafted us in and in mercy, He did not just rescue us or bring us in. He has given us new life and give, and, uh, by His Holy Spirit. And so, that sense of by the mercy of God carries two connotations. One of gratitude, but the, but the other of enabling. In that when we were brought to Christ, we were enabled with a new heart and the help of the Holy Spirit to give our lives over to Him. We have the Spirit, we have the wind in our sails, the new heart and the energy of God to proceed. Sinclair Ferguson describes it like this. He says, when God urges us to be holy, He is not throwing us back on our own resources to pull ourselves up by our bootstrings and do better, but by the mercy of God. Rather, He encourages us to swim into the sea of God's love, to immerse our lives in His grace, and to live on the basis of of the resources He has provided for us in Christ. So it is our reasonable act of worship. It's our logical response. It's fitting. It's unfitting to, to not respond in gratitude. It's unfitting to the way that we've now been wired to go against what God is enabling us to do, to give our lives to Him. What are we being asked to do? Well, it's really simple. Give ourselves. Why would we do that? Because of God's mercy. How do we do it? Well, it begins in the mind. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Excuse me. How we think determines what we'll do. And Paul's simple explanation for us, really practical for us, don't be shaped by the old world order, but let new thought patterns transform your life. When John Calvin went to Geneva, he initiated a program in St. Pierre's where he preached that cleansed the church building from Roman distractions. They took out the statues of the saints, They took out the holy relics. They took out the crucifixes. The altar where the Mass was conducted were all discarded and destroyed. The the walls and the pillars were all whitewashed. The church was just cleared out, totally stripped bare. And a wooden pulpit was given center stage in the sanctuary. You see the pattern? Want to live your life for God? It happens. As we transform the, as we transform, as we as 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 the mind is transformed, stripping out the old. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be re, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about that a little bit more. In Terms of the negative: don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Literally, don't uh, be not conformed to this age. Don't don't just uncritically fit in with the mass movement of people. And and even in that phrase, this age is both the temptation and the warning. The temptation is it, it, it is this age in which we live. And so we're apt to get carried along by the flow. But if we don't consciously seek to put on a to put a different model before our eyes, we will be carried along. And the warning is in that little phrase as well, this age, because this age presupposes another age. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world or this age. (coughs) It'll be uncomfortable. There's always a pressure to conform among friends, there's always a pressure to conform even in family. This is what we always do, some people will tell you. there's a pressure to conform. and even as you say that word conform, you can almost feel yourself getting squeezed into a mold. But we're not those who are conformed to this age because we are being taught by the one who is creating the age to come. He says, "Be transformed. And that little phrase gives something of the what's going on here. It's, it's in the present tense, and so it's ongoing. It's an ongoing work in our lives to be transformed. It says, be transformed. It's, a, it's an imperative command. And so, there's some responsibility on us to, to respond to this, and it's, it's also passive. It says, it uh, gives the sense that as we, uh, that, that it's something that's being done to us, where God is at work by His Spirit, we must allow Him to work. It's ongoing. Thomas Chalmers described it as a renewal in the very interior of our system, of the place of command and presiding authority where the mainspring of every deed and every movement lies. How do we do this? Well, some of it's very practical, just, just like we looked at last week. How do we renew our mind? What do we do on a daily basis? What are we going to do tomorrow to renew our mind? Well, set before your body the pattern of Scripture. Read it, chew on it, work out what it practically means. I was challenged recently reading the parable of the sower. The seed that takes root are the people who have read, have heard and understood. And so, I I, I just think that comes down to something really practical for us on a daily basis. If you read your Bible in the morning and you don't take out of it something that's going to have the potential to shape your life that day, you've missed something. If it's just an exercise of of, of just reading a book, and, and, and then you leave it down, and there's nothing to, to shape or influence your life. You miss something. But we're to read the Word of God, that it might renew our minds, and it might lead to something practical in our lives. We need to understand it at a practical level. Listen to the preached Word as well. Um Sinclair Ferguson, again, makes an impassioned plea for the benefit of evening worship. I think you folks that are here tonight are converted on that matter. But, um, of course, Sinclair's the evening preacher in St. Peter's in Dundee at the moment, and maybe that's part of his motivation. But I think there's a little extra for us as Christians if we come along to the evening worship, a little something that God gives us as we come back the second time You get the movement? What are we being asked to do? We're being asked to give ourselves. Why would we do that? Because of God's mercy. How do we do that? Well, we no longer conform to the pattern of the world, but we renew our mind through the input of the Word of God. What we're thinking about will work its way out in a transformed life. You see, there's a sense in which that word transformed has that that sense of the age to come included in it. And so as we as we fix our minds on God's perfect pattern in scripture, in a sense, a little bit of eternity is being uh, is is taking place in our lives now if that if that makes sense, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. The renewal of the mind leads us to the will of God it's a it's a practical movement throughout this short text, from the mind through into the life. The body given over to God is renewed according to the pattern of Christ. And then, as we would, if we were to preach on through Romans 12, you would see that it will work its way out into what happens in the church, how we love enemies, how we fight back against the chaos in our society. God in mercy has given us life. It's not for us to indulge in ourselves, but we're to give it back to Him wholly, all of it, repeatedly. To make this happen, it will mean a daily reorientation. Now, let me finish with a story told by a young man, writing just before Christmas, a young man, Daniel Grothy, who is speaking of meeting uh, Eugene Pedersen and his wife, Jan. Eugene Pedersen, you might be familiar with the name, wrote the message, a paraphrase of the Scriptures. Not that I, I you've got to understand the message for what it is, a paraphrase of the Scriptures, but this little story just ties in so well with what I've been saying. Um, he says, So this is a young man meeting an older saint, a man who's celebrating his 85th birthday. He says, we spent the day walking, looking through his library, praying, kayaking, and talking, 12 hours of talking. I've always loved spending time with people in their 80s and 90s because I know they are a treasury of experiences. So I came ready with questions. I asked Eugene about a lot of things, but I stumbled onto something. I wanted to know what he has learned about money. To give a little context, this is a guy who translated a Bible that has sold over 17 million copies. I was interested to know what that has taught a guy who grew up in a modest home during the Great Depression, in a hard-working small-town community who lived himself paycheck to paycheck for most of his working years. Eugene was totally silent for about 60 seconds. He was rubbing his fingers through his grey beard and staring off into the distance across the lake where the Rocky Mountains are in view. Through so many of those moments with Eugene, over the years I have learned to wait through the long pauses. It seemed like he had gathered a thought. I don't think I've learned anything about money, he said. And then he went silent again. I waited, but as as I was thinking, but I was thinking, what do you mean you haven't learned anything about money? Then it hit me. This is a guy who lives in his childhood home. They have one car, a Honda, There's not an ostentatious or showy bone in their bodies. These are people who have turned down opportunity after opportunity in order to preserve a life of simplicity and quiet faithfulness, a long obedience in the same direction. I have long said that it only took Eugene Pedersen 65 years to become an overnight success, and the success came when he had gotten over his need to be successful. God must have known that he could trust this old couple with that kind of money, with that kind of a claim. What I discovered is that Eugene and Jan have been doing this their whole lives, been giving themselves away, their strength away, their money away. I basically made him admit that he and Jan have paid for scores of students to pursue master's or doctoral degrees, full scholarships out of their own pockets. We determined that that's why God gave us this money. That's what it's for, he said. They have given to local and global mission. As the psalmist said, they have freely scattered abroad their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. Eugene and Jan could have gone the traditional retirement route, that is the last stretch on the highway to the American dream, and no one would have blamed them. They could have circled the wagons and shut everyone else out. They could have spent that money on themselves, but they haven't. Eugene prayed for the comparatively young Daniel, as he, and, and as he prayed, this line stood out. Father, help Jan and I to take what's left with us and share it with those around us. Help us to give it all away. Of all that I have learned from Eugene and Jan Pedersen over the years, maybe that's the thing that will stick with me the most that true life is found as we become like Jesus, as we spend our lives giving it all away. Paul says, his headline statement for Christian obedience, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies all that you have as living sacrifices. And and maybe you're, you're like Patterson and you're 85 years of age and you think to yourself, my life's behind me. Well, maybe you would make his prayer your prayer. Father, help Jan and I to take what's left with us and share it with those around us. Help us to give it all away. Let's finish in prayer. Father, of all the things that's precious to us, life is precious. We really value the fact that you have given us life. We would would hang on to it with everything that we've got. And yet, our Father, we thank you that you have laid down your life to give us life. And this this, this, this principle that is here presented is something that, that, that the world just doesn't understand. Help us to understand it, that life is found when we give it away. Life is found when we give it to you, and there is an overspill to the people round about us. Father, we pray for your help. In the week that lies ahead of us, to renew our minds as we listen to and reflect upon what's been heard from Ross this morning, as we listen to the Word of God, perhaps as we sit at the fireside or or the kitchen table in the morning, and renew our minds after the pattern of your Word. And help us, Lord, to, to respond to what it says, that a little bit of eternal life, as it were, might be lived out through our experience on a daily basis. So we thank you for the gospel. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name.